This is World of the Bible. I'm Chris Jones. Welcome back. How you guys doing? I'm still recovering from COVID, and it's really annoying, but it's all good. Really excited about this lesson that we're going to dive into. I have a question, however, that I've been thinking about. The movie Groundhog's Day, if they were to do a sequel of that movie, would they just replay the movie? What do you think? That's funny, right? That's that's funny. Okay. Big idea. Remember, my big idea for the entire course is that God communicated in methods that were normal, but messages that were unique. God communicated in methods that were normal to that day, but messages that were unique in that day. So what I want to do real quick is just highlight where we're going to go through this year. And the course is actually set up um, like a map, like an ancient map. So to get the visual, we're starting a series of lessons that I'm going to be calling, Hey, What's Up? (laughs) And by, hey, what's up, I mean, what's up there? If you look up uh, into the sky, what's up there? And what did they think was up there in the ancient world? How is that reflected in the Bible all over the place um, in terms of the vocabulary used? So, and today we'll be zooming in on Genesis 1 to talk a little bit about that. Now, just so you know, at this point, I haven't said anything or claimed anything that is not in full agreement with all Bible scholars today. So, so far, everything that I've just claimed and even the way I'm thinking about things, um, all Bible scholars would be very happy with. Um, I will let you know later on in the lesson where Bible scholars diverge, where they have differences of opinion about what's going on with this vocabulary um, in the Bible and how it relates to Israel's neighbors. So our series begins with, what's up? Hey, what's up? So what did they think was up in the sky? And who did they think? was up in the sky. So that's where our study is going to go for uh, five or six lessons. That's going to be a lot of fun. And then along the way, I want to summarize those ideas with a claim about Jesus. Then our second series of lessons is going to be called What on Earth? (laughs) And uh, it's just just what it sounds. I want to evaluate the way the ancient individual in the ancient Near East thought about mountains and trees and temples. And so we're going to think about what's down here and also who is down here. And of course, we're going to think about humans 
and the way humans sought to interact with who they thought was up there in the sky. And you might anticipate a this um, series also zooming in on the underworld and thinking about what and who is down there. So that's where, among other topics, we'll talk about Sheol and Hades and Tartarus. Then the third series of lessons is going to be called More Power to You. And it's going to relate to government structures, kingship, laws, um, treaties that were made, and then also the interaction of humans and spiritual beings and how that interaction is described in the ancient world and how it's described in the Bible. And it's a power grab. It's described as a power grab. And right away, maybe your brain goes to Jesus being tempted by the evil one and him saying, I will give you all the nations if you bow down and worship me. Notice the power grab that's being offered. So we got to talk about that. Um, but of course, how Jesus counterculturally doesn't grab power um, by way of the cross. Last series will be, how's it going? How's it going? So we're going to talk about cultural norms of that day, the social classes and money and trade, holidays, and even the Greek and Hebrew language. And then along the way, processing how Jesus reflected the way to be truly human and what that means for us as a model. So, oh my, there's a lot to get through. And luckily I have the entire year to do it. Today, as I said, we'll begin a series of lessons called, Hey, What's Up? And we're going to explore the world as Israel understood it and their neighbors in the ancient Near East. The ancient Near East, or the A-N-E, is recognized as that area in the Middle East from a time period about the early Bronze Age to the early Iron Age. So we're talking about 3000 BC to 500 BC. And this will encapsulate, or I should say, flip that around, Genesis to the end of the Old Testament will fit very nicely in that uh, time period. So remember, our goal here is to learn about the way people thought in the ancient Near East, how Israel's neighbors thought about things, and then compare that with what we find in the Bible. John Walton, professor at Wheaton, reminds us that we need to translate the language. We know that, but we forget we've got to translate the culture as well. And this language that we read in ancient texts, including the Bible, is embedded in a culture. And so our goal in this class is to learn about that culture. And hopefully that will help illuminate the language that we find in the Bible as well. That's the game plan, guys. So sound good? I hope so. All right, I'm already eight minutes in. That's my intro, I have 12 minutes. And so I've got my work cut out for me here. So let's let's get trucking. Here's my game plan. I want to read. Sorry, I'm going to cough. <coughs> I'm going to read 
a section in Genesis 1. I'm not going to read the whole thing. And then I want to read an Egyptian coffin text. And then I want to read a Babylonian text. And I'm curious if you notice any similarities. All right? So that's that's so just listen for similarities in these three texts. And uh, let's see what we can come up with here. This is one of those lessons, man, where I wish we were all in person because um, it would just be fascinating to talk about this with you guys. But maybe you can talk amongst yourselves after you listen to it. Um, of course, always feel free to reach out to me, interact with me about it. Here we go. Genesis 1. And um, let me read. I think I'm going to read from a different text. I'm not going to read from the ESV. Just mix it up a little bit here. So let's go with uh, a different text. How about the NRSV or the NASB? There we go. Here we go. It didn't change it. That's fine. ESV. Here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Sorry, I have to pause. How you understand that verse relating to the rest of the verses is actually kind of a big deal. I think that verse is the title for everything in chapter 1. So I think it goes, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now here's how that went about. Here's how that's described. Verse 2. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. The deep what? And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So I have earth is without form and void. I have darkness and I have these waters. And the spirit of God is hovering over the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And then he's going to name it. Then God named the light day and the darkness. He named that night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and it separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. Remember that, guys. The waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse sky. I know in the ESV it says heaven, but that's a loaded word, and I like the, the translation sky. And there was evening, there was morning the second day. I'll just read a little bit more. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered to one place and let the dry land appear. 
So notice there's even more separation going on. And it was so. And, and God named the dry land earth or, or ground. Earth is too loaded for us. We'll talk more about that in another lesson. And the waters were gathered together, and he named them. He named them seas. Uh, yam in Hebrew. And God saw that it was good. All right. I'm going to stop there. This first 10 verses. Um, maybe you even noticed some repeated ideas or concepts in there. But um, let me now read an Egyptian text to you. I know you woke up this morning and you were thinking, you know what would be really great? I would love to hear uh, an Egyptian coffin text. <laughs> yeah? Was that? Maybe not? Probably not. But here's what I would ask. Sorry, I'm going to cough again. <clears throat> Think about some similar concepts or ideas that you heard in Genesis 1 when I read this text, okay? So, Egyptian coffin text. Here we go. The waters speak. I am the waters, unique, without second. Atum speaks. Atum is the creator god uh, of Egypt, okay? That is where I evolved on the great occasion of my floating that happened to me. I, Atum, the creator, am the one who once evolved. Circlet, who is in his egg. I am the one who began therein. The waters. See, the flood is subtracted from me. See, I am the remainder. I made my body evolve through my own effectiveness. I am the one who made me. I built myself as I wished, according to my heart. Okay, so did you notice there anything that sounds similar to Genesis 1? Did you notice Anything there that sounds different from Genesis 1? Again, remember, this class is going to be making a claim that God, through the Bible, will be communicating in his methods will be normal, but his message will be unique. So are there theological differences in this text and in Genesis? Let me just read one more and then we'll uh, make some comments about it. So here's a text from Babylon. Okay, this is the first few lines of the very famous creation text in Babylon called the Enuma Elish. All right, 
So the first five, six, seven, first eight lines. So we'll call this the first eight verses of the Enuma Elish, um, which, by the way, predates Genesis 1, um, most scholars think, um, quite a bit. Here we go. When on high no name was given to heaven, no name, nor below was the netherworld called by name, primeval apsu, the deep abyss, was their progenitor, and creator Tiamat, the salty ocean, was she who bore them all. They were mingling their waters together. When no gods at all had been brought forth, none called by names, none destinies ordained, then were the gods formed within these two. And if you fast forward in the Enuma Elish, Tiamat, the salty ocean, will be depicted as a water dragon and a god that will be created later named Marduk will be called to fight against Tiamat and Marduk will rip Tiamat in half, separating her waters. <laughs> so, did you notice some similarities? Tell your neighbor. Here are the similarities. Let's see if you got the ones that I got. We got water present at creation. We got a separating of the waters taking place. And this theme of naming is present in these texts. Why is this? Because in the ancient world, uh, creation is always depicted as a, a state of chaotic water. That's how everything starts. And from this chaotic water comes order. In Egyptian texts, order is called ma'at. ma'at. Um, in Genesis 1, you might remember it. It was uh, formless and void. This is the state of disorder. There's non-order, actually, is probably a better way to put it. Did you notice any differences? Because even though that there's very similar language, there's some differences. In Genesis, God is um, not creating himself. He has always been. And he's also separate from creation. He's not within it. He's not the waters like Tiamat is. And of course, God is not fighting any other God. Nor is he creating any other gods um, in Genesis 1 that, that rival him. <laughs> I'll come back to that um, in a few lessons. He's not creating 
any spiritual beings that rival him or are equal to him. So, so much more could be said, but Genesis 1 is making claims about God that are counter-cultural, but doing so in a way that's culturally normal. So the method is normal. It's understood. It's expected, but the message was unique. Um, as, as I wrap up recognizing some of these things, I just want to acknowledge where Bible scholars go with this. I know I'm going over just a couple minutes. I'll wrap up. Some are going to recognize that the vocabulary in Genesis 1 is most definitely similar to other ancient Near Eastern stories, but it's not that the audience actually believed such things. The author of Genesis doesn't actually believe that's how creation took place. Um, th those that hold this view have a certain perspective on how inspiration, inerrancy, and history work together. Okay, In other words, if God wrote it, it can't contain any errors. And so what it says happened in the way it's intending to describe it in history. Um, another perspective on this is going to say that the author and audience really did think like, like their neighbors. So this view is going to say God's not updating their science, and it's not intending to make claims about the way the world works or how, it, um, how it's made up. Instead, God is intending to make claims about himself in the ways that they would understand. The inerrancy of scripture is still held, but thought about in regard to what is the claim the author is really intending to make. So this, um, this conversation can get a little muddy, and I recognize that. Um, so is Genesis 1 intending to teach that God literally separated waters? Or is it just using common language of that day to make claims about God? So this rabbit hole goes pretty deep, and I'm aware of that. We'll, we'll be heading down this path even further. Uh, let me just throw out a text for you to consider even further. And we'll, um, in the next class, unpack this more. Psalm 104, verse 3. It says that God lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. And the Hebrew word there is the same Hebrew word that's used in Genesis 1, when God separated the waters above and below. So what is going on in the world of the Bible? I will see you guys next time.